Join the conversation with Tommy Weber. Pro and college baseball coach Tommy Weber brings you cutting-edge interviews and thought-provoking commentary in a weekly podcast dedicated to baseball, sports, current events, and the world. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and TommyWeberBaseball.com. And make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TommyWeberBaseball. It's time to get the conversation started, so here's your host, Tommy Weber. From the Gotham Podcast Studio in the heart of downtown New York City, my hometown, Tribeca. This is the conversation with Tommy Weber. I am Tommy Weber. We got a great show for you today. A lot of stuff going on in the sports world, in the world of politics, down in Washington. Compelling testimony today. I watched, um, irrespective of where you stand, it was very, very compelling and dramatic and uh, really uh, history making kind of stuff. And everyone should at least see it, irrespective of where you stand uh, politically. We're going to move forward now. My guest today is a young man who um, I spent a lot of time with this summer. Got to know very well. He had the distinction of hitting a home run at Harwich, which I'm not sure has landed yet. Uh, Probably the hardest hit ball of the summer. I've always maintained that um, one of the great things about dealing with elite players is that they're not just elite players, they're elite people. And uh, my guest is is no exception. Uh, Just one of the most outstanding young people I've had the pleasure of getting to know. Super uh, athlete, intellect and artist i want you to welcome from stanford university brandon wolf wolfie how are you my friend i'm good tommy thanks for the kind words well they are well deserved they are well deserved and and one of the things when i when i kind of thought of doing this and and was sort of pushed into doing it by a lot of people uh who had urged me to do it over the years the one thing i always um thought about was that this is going to be a voice for players and that players are always going to have priority on my show because i've long maintained that players are voiceless and are growing increasingly voiceless uh, in their own development whether it be in college or in summer ball um players have less um domain if you will over their uh development and their future and um one of the things i try to endeavor to do as a coach and as a mentor is uh and certainly on the show is to emancipate guys and to encourage them to speak their minds so um this is just another example i hope you know we're gonna have a bunch of big league guys this year on the show and um guys who either played for me or 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 i know and um i just think players need a voice and um talk to me a little bit about uh, the landscape of college baseball, um, where you come down on some, you know, w- what about college baseball do you love and, and what don't you like so much? Um, what's really interesting is I think I'm kind of in a special situation here at Stanford. Um, I mean, I've talked to a lot of my friends and guys I've played with at different schools, and they all have different experiences in college baseball than I do. Um we have the luxury of having a really great coaching staff um, that actually is like very for the players and like a lot of um, the leadership and accountability on the team comes from the players. And that's how the coaches want it to be. That's great. Um, yeah. I think it's awesome. Um, they really just give us a chance to uh, kind of develop our own culture on the team. Um, and we kind of decide like what's going to be accepted and what's not going to be accepted. Um and I think it's a reason why our team was so good last year. And I think uh, why the team's going to be so good in the future. Um, it's just this culture um, that we developed on the team and how the coaches kind of 
and they've even said it out loud to us before that they feel like they are like they're they're just in the background kind of making sure everything um is able to work for the players uh, tell, tell me this yeah. uh let's backtrack a little bit give me the chronology of events that got you to stanford i know you're from vegas uh, was Stanford your dream school? Was it your first pick? Did you have other alternatives that you were contemplating? How did you get to uh, probably one of the three or four most esteemed universities in the country? I'd probably say it's the most prestige. Okay. That's just me. <laughs> That's kind of how they do it here. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, I actually, um, I'd never, I didn't make the varsity team in high school um, until my junior year. Wow. And it was from the sophomore to junior year, I kind of realized that I had to make a change in something I was doing because obviously something I was doing wasn't working. Um, I had always been one of the better players on the team uh, growing up through Little League, travel ball, club ball, all that stuff. Um, but once I got to high school, it was kind of a different um, playing field. Uh, I went to a really big like baseball school in Vegas, mm-hmm. um, at Bishop Gorman. Um, guys like Joey Gallo, um, Paul Seawald, um, Johnny Field, like the, the list goes on and on for guys who have gone from there. Um, Caden Grenier, who is a first-round pick this last year. Um, so when I got to school like um, uh, at Gorman, I wasn't the best player on the team anymore, um, no matter how bad I wanted to think I was. Um, so I started lifting, got a little bit bigger, um, and just kind of got more physical. Um, and if you look at college baseball players today, or even pro baseball players, they're all larger than other people, except with a few exceptions. But the majority of them are very physical people. Yeah, it's a big man's um, game. It's a big man's game. Yep. Absolutely. So, got to uh, junior year of high school. Um, was bigger. I was probably weighing about 205 at that point, And kind of immediately started to take off. Um, I hit... I don't remember exactly how many home runs I hit that year, but it was uh, probably 13 or 14. Um, and that kind of got me on the radar. Dude, that'll um, open people's eyes. Yeah. So my, my high school coach at the time um, had actually played at Stanford for a year or a year or three or something like that. For, and one of his teammates was one of the assistant like recruiting directors at Stanford at the time. Mm-hmm. So he kind of got my name out there to them. And um, I was just, they saw me play once uh, in Arizona and I sent them a, so I actually made this YouTube account um, that had a few highlights that I had chosen of just like, this is my swing. This is me running. This is me. I even put some videos of me lifting in there. And I guess Stanford really loved that. To this day, whenever I talk to that coach who recruited me, he still loves the lifting videos that I had on my YouTube account, which I think is really funny. But yeah, I committed after my junior season in high school. I'd been recruited by a few other schools, um, like the school in Las Vegas, UNLV, Reno, USC, and uh, BYU. But Stanford had always been like, that's like the absolute best of the best for both worlds. Um, incredible athletics and top-notch academics. And it's it's really hard to pass up when you get opportunity to play here. You know, we had a lot of conversations over the summer um, about Stanford and the culture. And tell us a little bit as an athlete, you know, what's it like at Stanford? I mean, I'm an East Coast guy, so you're talking about a place that, you know, in Palo Alto, and it's it's obviously, it's the Harvard of the West, I guess, uh, but with fantastic 
athletics. There's no question about it. I think when you combine athletics and academics, it's far and away the finest institution in the country. What's the culture like there? Yeah, so it's really interesting. They, um, I'm sure other schools have this, uh, like they talk about it too, but they have this thing called like the, the Stanford Duck Syndrome, where like it looks like you're doing fine on the top um, and everyone else thinks you're doing fine, but really underneath you're kicking super hard, trying to just stay afloat. So I think a lot of people here, we kind of recognize that everyone is all going through this same hardship of trying to balance class, like at least the athletes, they're all trying to balance classes and uh, athletics, which take up, it's basically like you're working two full jobs. But I will say that the the culture here on campus is really laid back and um, it definitely fits your like stereotypical, like this is our, this is like the California vibe. Right, right. Um, I've heard of pe- people who have gone to Ivy Leagues out on the East Coast, and they all say um, it's much more competitive there than it is here at Stanford. I've been told that Ivy Leagues, it's more like you're trying to beat out your classmates um, to get the best grades. Right. So, so it's very competitive in that nature where like people maybe don't work work together as much. Um, but here at Stanford and like with the Alumni Association, it's very like we want to help anyone who else who's here at Stanford. So like there's tons of study groups on campus that you can get help from. There's people in your dorms, like everyone's very sociable and you can just basically walk up to anyone and talk to anybody. Well, that sounds, that sounds like a real cooperative vibe. And, um, certainly, you know, spending all the time that we did, you know, um, over the summer, and of course, uh, Christian Malfetta, also another Stanford guy. Uh, obviously, they have some remedial courses at Stanford because, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> Christian has actually survived. Yeah. Nonetheless, hey, however you get it, who cares? He's going to get the same degree. It's going to be a Stanford degree. It might have an asterisk on it, but uh, he will get yeah, it. We, yeah, we actually have um, a degree here that's like, it's kind of the, the degree that the athletes take. Like the, like the pretty, the pretty kids like Christian, he's pretty. So he gets, he gets that degree. <laughs> yeah. I, I always find it interesting when there's a, so we call them NARPs. They're non-athletic regular people. Um, <laughs> those are the, the non-athletes. I always find it interesting when they say they're these STS majors, which is stands for science, technology, and society. Oh God. A lot of the athletes call it a, they call it a triple major, even though it's like, <laughs> it's like no major. It's like no major. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it's whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's Stanford. That's yeah, what it is. Yeah, the SDS major is definitely um, something that a lot of the athletes take. So there's definitely a way to uh, to make it easier here, and there's also a way to make it harder. We have a our catcher on our team, Maverick Hanley. I think he's a, like a, a bioengineer or something. He takes super long classes, and I mean, there's a bunch of articles online if you look them up um, of him. Like he was out of the Cape at Falmouth this year and on his off day he was like at the hospital like standing in on a certain oh god uh, it's just like I hate that kid (laughs) wow when you could when you could humble the guys at Stanford you're doing something pretty cool let's face it when the the guys at Stanford it's one thing it's one thing for the guys at Alabama to get humbled not okay okay but let's face it Alabama ain't Stanford Um, but uh, yeah it's just such a fabulous vibe and obviously um, if you see Condoleezza Rice tell her to call me because I have a couple of issues that are of mutual interest since we're both educators what's really funny is so so we lift at 6am which I texted you about earlier right how how, oh, be, how stupid that is! Play. How stupid that is! Especially, especially here. Um, but it, it's going to change soon, which is nice because 
a lot of the players don't like it, which is what's great about um, the program that we're in. But Condoleezza Rice actually lifts in our gym right before we get there at 6 a.m. So she's there probably like 4.30 or 5 o'clock in the morning, just like going hard. And like we come in and she's all sweaty and then she goes and does her nine to five job of being a very important person. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, high achievers like that tend to be up very, very early. It's not uncommon. People like that start the day really, really early and go to bed early. It's really one of the uh, one of the things that you find with very, very successful people that they do that. But that's cool that you run into people like that on the campus. Um, yeah, all the time. So you, you, you mentioned one of my pet peeves, which is the 6 o'clock lift. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about this a lot. Uh, I think this is part of kind of the mentality of a lot of college coaches where it's, it's not, it's not valid unless it's inconvenient. It's not uh, worthy unless your players hate it. And I think the guys at Stanford are onto something. Um, you get a lot more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And so somebody should send a memo to a lot of these college guys whose life's mission is to inconvenience and make it difficult for players. Uh, When it's all said and done, you actually are enlisted to do just the opposite because you need your players to perform for you. And players, one thing about young people, they'll nod their head and they'll comply because they have to. But I'm not so sure that when it hits the fan and it will hit the fan as it always does, that those guys are going to play for you when you need them to most. And they may be a little disinclined to do so because you've broken their balls for the last six months. Mm-hmm. And you're a young player. Speak to that. Yeah, so um, the biggest problem that I have with the 6 a.m. list, especially here, is that a lot of us stay up extremely late doing schoolwork. Right. Or um, just, like, getting stuff done. Right. And I, I really believe that one of the biggest parts of um, staying healthy and um, recovering is getting enough sleep at night. Couldn't um, agree more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So I, I wear this. I wanted to like kind of look into that more. So um, one of my buddies at school told me about this strap. Um, it's like a heart rate monitor. That's kind of like an Apple watch, but instead of reading um, right, right. your heart rate, like every 60 seconds, it does it like 10,000 times a second or something like that. Something ridiculous. Um, so I just kind of wanted to see like where it said my body needs, like what my body needs to sleep. Um, what's really interesting is throughout the night, at least for myself, I probably spend an hour and a half where I'm actually awake. Um, even though I'm like trying to sleep. Really? So I'll either wake up in the middle of the night. So when they say you need eight hours of sleep for me, that would actually be nine and a half hours in bed. Wow. Um, and on most nights, it's around 10 hours of sleep, of actual sleep that I need based on what I do throughout the day. Wow. So so I, I think, so like for most 6 a.m. lifts that I've had, I go to sleep. I try to go to sleep early, but because of homework, I usually end up going to sleep around 11 or 12 and waking up at 5 o'clock. That's right. six hours and nowhere near um, the amount of sleep I need. So usually what happens is I come back um, to my room after the lift, fall back to sleep, and then... Hopefully, I'm not super tired from my first class of the day. So, in fact, then, you're enlisted with readying these elite athletes to perform on a very high level. 
And by virtue of something that may be well-intended, you're actually coming up with a really bad idea, which is handicapping your athletes because they're not even Mm -hmm. getting enough rest, which is an essential ingredient in becoming stronger. So by forcing guys to come in earlier, you're actually conspiring against their success. Mm -hmm. And and it's not, it's not like, um, like a 6am every now and then, like where it's more like a mental thing. Like I'm all, I'm on board with that. But when it becomes like four days out of the week, you're going to be waking up at 6am or 5am. So you can get to the field for six. That's where it gets like pretty bad in your recovery. And, um, I mean, I've experienced a lot of injuries throughout, uh, my three, this, this will be my fourth year at Stanford. Um, I don't know if I can point them all to that recovery, but it's definitely a factor. I think. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's certainly part of the picture. It may not be the proximate cause, but it, it could be a contributory cause. There's no question about that. And I think you're right to assume that. You're listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. We'll be right back. This episode of The Conversation with Tommy Weber is brought to you by 4momalz.com. Join the fight against Alzheimer's and support our good friends, Hunter and Braden Bishop, as they bring awareness to a struggle that many families face through their charity, 4mom. Make sure to follow them on Twitter at hashtag 4mom. And for all your mortgage needs, call Northern Security Capital Corp., the New York area's most dedicated mortgage broker. If you're buying or refinancing a home, there's only one place to go. Call Northern Security Capital Corp. today at 718-273-1010. And now, back to the show. I want to shift gears now. Um, For those of you out there who don't know... um, I love the piano. I study music, and so does Brandon Wolf. And we, Miles, is going to queue up and play something for us right now. Take a listen. That is. My buddy Brandon playing before a home game at Stanford, which you did more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to us about the role that music has played in your life, and how cool was yeah. it? And how cool was it? And how nervous were you to play in front of the home <laughs> crowd? Yeah, so um, I played the national anthem the last two years, um, usually on our last home series, which is always like the busiest. Um, like series of the year, just because it's like the last one before playoffs and stuff like that. Um, so two years ago when I first played it, I think we were playing Oregon that series. And I think the most people I've ever played the piano in front of was maybe like 40, maybe 50. Um, if I like that, were actually like stopped listening. And this one, there was probably about, there probably would have been like eight or 900 people there. So <laughs> the whole warm up um, leading up to the game, I was just kind of, very nervous preoccupied um, kind of pacing around oh yeah and it definitely translated over to when i was when i was playing so after i played the anthem um i kind of just blacked out during the whole thing but once um my first at bat came around i was still kind of shooken up <laughs> and i think i watched three fastballs go down the middle i sat back down <laughs> <laughs> but the following year um with a little bit of experience under my belt um 
it was much more comfortable. Um, and I think a lot of it too is like, I, I felt a lot more comfortable with the team, with the crowd, with just everything um, last year than I did the previous year, um, which was really cool, I think. Well, as you know, performance is part of your development as as a as a musician and Absolutely. as a player i mean you know let's face it um we all have those kind of um barriers that we have to break at every level that we play regardless of what we're playing and playing mm-hmm. out and playing in front of people is nerve-wracking it's it's especially especially the venue that you did it in because you were exposed. There was nobody else on that field. There wasn't a guitar player yeah. and a bass player and a drummer or an orchestra where you could kind of hide. It was, you know, you were center stage, nobody else on your own, fully exposed, and you acquitted yourself quite well, I must say. It was really well done. And uh, tell me, when did you start playing music? So I started when I was really young, probably about five. Um, my parents made me take lessons, and about after a year maybe two years. I didn't really like it. So I quit. Um, but we moved to a new house and the new house, the owners before left their, uh, their Wurlitzer piano. Nice. Um, lucky you. Yeah. It was a Wurlitzer. Um, so they left that there and I just kind of thought to myself like, well, we have a piano and no one's going to play it. Um, we probably should get someone to play it or else it'll just sit there and be an expensive, like piece of furniture that no one can sit on. Um, so I started taking lessons again when I was about eight, um, eight or nine, and took lessons for about eight years. Um, and it's something that I regret, but I stopped taking lessons because they wanted me to play more classical music. And me being a teenager, I was like, no one likes classical music. Um, I want to play things that people know, right? Like right. people will recognize when I start playing. Yep. Yep. Um, but if I had continued playing classical, then I'd be much more technically skilled on the piano. Um, but for like the since uh, since I stopped taking lessons, I started teaching myself songs, um, just reading music or just kind of looking stuff up online. And within the last like three or four years, I'd I'd begun to pick up um, playing stuff by ear. So now. That's really what I've been working on. Um, it's just getting better at listening to music and being able to figure out how to play that melody on the piano, which yeah, has been a lot of fun. Yeah, you do have a good ear, though, and that's a hard way to play. Um, I read and write, and and mm-hmm. I, as as we discussed in the Cape, uh, you have a really you must have you must have really close to perfect pitch because you really do pick up quickly uh, on everything you hear. And that's really cool. Let me ask you this. The, the, I know what this answer is for me. What about for you? Has music in any way informed or improved or uh, been an an accompaniment to your athletic career? Uh, I think so. How so? Um, There's a lot of, there's a lot of rhythm um, and kind of like just, technical mastery of skill that you need to um to play the piano and a lot of that can transfer over to baseball whether that be pitching hitting fielding all that stuff is all rhythm repetition um and just kind of being able to like almost like get away from your body and just let your body like play yep um and a lot of that you do on the piano too if like whenever I go onto a really nice piano, I, I kind of just try to get lost into the sound of the music. And I kind of noticed that like my 
fingers just kind of start playing and yep. I don't really know what's going on, but it's, it's very, um, you're just kind of away from thinking and it's more just doing because of how many hours you put into doing something. Right. You become the activity, you know, um, Mm-hmm. I saw Oscar Peterson uh, once, and I was really up close. He was obviously ma- this masterful, wonderful piano player, and he was so magnificent. He had such vir- virtuosity. At, w- at one point, it was like he and the instrument weren't apart anymore. They were they were literally one entity. And I think that uh, in this day and age, I think athletes, especially baseball players, should learn how to play music, especially a music a stylized music like jazz and like popular music because you are so inundated with technical instruction. You're so inundated with cold facts and numbers that the soulful part of what you do is being ignored. And I, I firmly believe, and my, my teacher has, I, I use a lot of the lessons that I've learned in music and baseball. And he said, you know, once you start playing, you have to stop thinking. And he's yeah. right. Playing is not thinking. And it's like hitting. If you're thinking and hitting at the same time, you know, you're going to have a long day. You've just got to let it go and react and kind of let it take you where it's going to take you, just like the music. Yeah, the, the time to be thinking is when you're practicing. Correct. Um, and that's that's kind of how it goes when you're playing the piano, too. Is like That's when you think about the notes that you need to hit. And then when it comes time for the performance, that's where you let your practice just kind of kick in. Yep. I agree. Um, this is going to happen. And you know, too, you know, and it's happened to all of us. You know, if you're going bad, you're probably thinking too much. And then that cycle starts where you you think more and the worse you get. And now it's this downward spiral where the more I think, the worse I get. And the more I, the worse I get, the more I think. And now you're lost. Yeah. And uh, it's the yeah. same thing in music as well. I think that it would be, I think also the music like uh playing baseball can be cathartic because you get into the craft of it and you lose yourself in the craft. You know, I, I still yeah. say that you could have all the great, greatest technical virtuosity in the world, uh, but if you don't take thousands and thousands of ground balls and thousands and thousands of swings and fly balls, you're probably not going to be very good. It does come down to logging the time and doing it on an That's everyday fine. basis. Yeah. Exactly. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I don't think you can just go out there It'd be like, um, it's like if you practice for hours and hours playing the piano, your first performance, there's going to be, there's going to, it's going to be different than just practicing. Absolutely. Even though you've put it in so many hours. No question. You may be better at it than someone who hasn't put in the hours, but it's, it's completely different when you actually go into the performance, uh, like playing baseball. Right. Once you actually go onto the field, if you're thinking about, I need to keep my hands inside or I need right. to get my foot down and stuff like that. That's where things can go. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's like one is, you know, practicing is like the showcase. Playing is the yep. game. you got to play now yep. because you can't control the variables. And once you can't control the variables, you better be ready to go in any direction at any time. Otherwise, you're going to get beat. Yep. So I, I, I love the analogy. And talk about a little bit about your experience this summer, your impressions. Um, when I say to you, you know, the Cape, what comes to mind? Yeah. So um, when I had first thought, about going to the Cape, I didn't really know what to expect. I knew it was the best summer league in uh, all the country, and I still believe that. Um, I was a little disappointed with, personally, my performance um, based on like just what I know I could do and mm-hmm. how I performed. But I also talked to a few of my uh, old teammates. One of them just finished his first full season of pro ball, um, 
And he said it wasn't until his like hundredth game that it started to click. Um, and just playing 44 short games in the cave. Um, the sample size is too small. Yes. Yeah. So, um, that actually encouraged me a lot. Um, when he told me that was just, um, and, and just so that, you know, I mean, we, we've had this conversation before as someone who evaluates players all the time in no way, in no way is your batting average or your home runs or your hits necessarily an indication of who you are in the Cape. It is a very humbling league and a very humbling experience. So I I don't know that you can, you know, I, I know that you can't necessarily draw a correlation between who you are and what you do in the Cape, but go ahead, keep going. Well, yeah. So, um, yeah, so I was disappointed in maybe the stat line or... Um, sure, I understand. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way I think players are. They just... Well, that's... We that's not over them, but it's just... It is a number that... Um, yeah, I understand. doesn't disappear. Right. That's my issue with the publishing of numbers yeah. is that they become yeah. very, very powerful in and of themselves, unfortunately. But that's the world we live in now. And yeah, and just for me personally, I, I always um, consider my success on, like, hitting... Uh, for instance, is how well my bat was, um, or like if I did the stuff that I right. wanted to do. Right approach. Bat. Yep. And that, I think that that's where I felt like I fell short, um, just from what I've done in the past. But besides that, um, I was also a little disappointed with um, the whole league in general. Um, not that the players um, were bad at all; they were by far and away the best players that I've played with mm-hmm. or played against. Um, just the organization of the entire thing um, was very like lackluster, um, especially when you hear about when people think of the cave, they think like this is the place to be. This is like the best baseball experience you'll ever have. And for me, that wasn't the experience. Um, even if I think I played the best I've ever played in my life, I don't think it would have been nearly as fun or as organized as it was when I played in the Northwoods the year before. Wow. Interesting. That's an eye-opening statement. Yeah, which is, it's, it's pretty unfortunate. I don't know if it um, was every single team. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was just the organization of our team uh-huh. um, that we were on. But I don't know. What, what are you going to do? Um, you can, Not much. Can talk about <laughs> Not much. Wanna, <laughs> Not much. Make, but <laughs> we just got to. Yeah, I okay. Yeah, yeah, listen. It's like what you said before. The, uh, the players and coaches have less of a voice sometimes but that's just i think that's just the way that maybe that's the way baseball is going um i know it's not the way that it's going here at stanford um but from the guy that i talked to who just finished his pro season he also said that there were a few guys who got called up um this year um and he was saying that you were just you're so far removed from the people who make those decisions right um that that like you're just kind of just you're just there um and you can try to think of like why like what's the plan for this guy getting called up stuff like that um but it's just something that you never really figure out right and then it starts to own you and it becomes right it becomes a weight there's like you have no feedback um as a player and I, i think a lot of players i think that's what a lot of players need is they need feedback they need to know you need to know if you're what you're doing is the right thing to do or if like you need to change something because for most rational people they want to become the best version of themselves um, they want to become the best player and if you don't have people who are in like important positions or people who know what they're talking about telling you like this is what you need to do or like this is what you're not right. doing right 
um, you can get lost, like what you said. And then those things start to own you and you don't get to focus on baseball. Well, I'll say this, and I've said this for years. Um, we should be listening to the players, especially guys who are of high intellect and rational and make a lot of sense. Because regardless of who it's coming from, making sense is making sense. And you make a lot of sense. Yeah. And you're a smart guy, and you're not the first guy who has who has said that. And uh, everyone, regardless of the organization or the league, would be well served to uh, take the temperature of and listen to the very people that are participating in their league or on their team or in their organization. So uh, the fact that may not that 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 probably is not being done in certain places that's unfortunate. And you know uh, it shows it shows, and um, that's not good for anyone. Um, so I. I want to uh, play a little game here that I've played uh, in the last few weeks. We call it uh, Quick Pitch. All right? Okay. We're going to do a little um, word association, um, and we're going to right. see your uh, your responses. You ready to go? All right. So Kelly Nicholson played this game. Don Snedden played it. All right? Bron- uh, okay. <laughs> Mortarano played it. Oh. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Mortarano played it. North Carolina is not Stanford. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> oh, he's a great guy. He is a great guy. I love him. I love him. And he's a good sport. We need more of those. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious. Okay, ready? Yeah. Here we go. All right. Favorite food? Chicken. Chicken. Just you chicken. Want me, you want me to be more specific? No, raw chicken? I mean, is it cooked? Is it grilled? Is it chicken parmesan? Is it... Uh, I guess, let's see. Um, I grew up a lot. Um, I thought this was going to be like rapid fire. So uh, I actually grew up eating spam and rice. Uh, I know a lot of people probably think that's disgusting. But someone, might want to call, to, someone might want to talk to, to the authorities about your parents. About your parents. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, I don't know. Maybe that's the reason I ended up. At Stanford? Sort of like at, at Stanford? At yeah. Stanford? Maybe at Stanford. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, okay. Any kind of chicken, like chicken, steak. Okay. I'm not a big fan of veggies and stuff like that, but any kind of protein. Last show you binge watched? I mean, I watched The Office like every single day. And whenever it gets to the end of the, like, the series, I just go back to the beginning. Really? Kinda like, yeah, it's kind of my way of just decompressing at the end of the day. Now, you watch the American version? I do watch the American version. Okay. You really, really, I'm going to prescribe the British version. Ricky Gervais, the creator of the show? Yeah, so I I tried watching that a couple times. Maybe it's because I just watched the first episode. But I just didn't think it was was as funny. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. All right. There there is another show I'm watching right now. It's called American Vandal. Um, It's a Netflix series. It's It's supposed to make fun of documentaries. Like a... Okay. a murder documentary. Like, I'm writing that down. Like I gotta watch that. that. Happened. They're trying to figure it out. Okay. It's really funny. American it's a comedy. Okay. Yeah. I got that. I'm gonna watch they that. They don't make it seem like it's a comedy. Okay. Which is the best one. Ready? Yep. Jason Kanzler. Uh, yoked. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. The, the second thing that I thought of was two-time outfield Gold Glove winner. The only one in the history of the NCAA. Yeah. What a player, man. He could really play. Yeah. My goodness. How smart is that guy? And, uh, and um, for whoever's listening, if you haven't followed his uh, Instagram account, it's you got should. him and like the Alex Simone guy. Yeah. They got some really good stuff. Um, a lot of stuff that I've done over the past probably six years um, in my baseball development. A lot of the stuff there that he says is good stuff. Yeah, I, I think Jason is... Um, 
the best, smartest, really, really talented uh, young coach around, and certainly, yeah. certainly in the Cape. And I think he's a really valuable commodity. And um, I, I think that uh, just wow, a lot of really great stuff uh, is in is in store uh, for Kanzler. Um, well, he, he needs to get a job at some school. I don't know how he hasn't been picked up yet. Well, you know, I I think things like that. They take time sometimes, and uh, that there's a lot of in the right place and who you know ism, as you know. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's it, what it all is. Yeah, me. involved with that. You know. uh, but uh, that's a cool answer. The Anathsulises, hmm. incredible. Uh, I, there, there's not a, there's not a single word I think that you could use to. So they were my host family. Yes, uh, they were over the summer, and I don't think there's a single word that can describe how much better they made my experience on the Cape. They were an incredible family. All the kids were awesome. The parents were awesome. The brothers, like the uncles, the aunts, yep. Yep. grandparents. I hope I'm not forgetting any of them if they're listening to this. <laughs> um, all of them, every single person in that family was just awesome. Um, it was one of the reasons that I wanted to continue uh, playing in playoffs was because I would get to spend more time with that family. Wow. And they were incredible cooks. Oh, my God. How good is the food there? How great is that food? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. You, you were over for yes. dinner a couple times. Oh, my it was... God. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow. They are. They're lovely people. They they are the gold standard. Um, and um, if you had to, you know, if you had to write the description of a host family, they truly are not only hosts, but make you a part of their family. And they're wonderful, wonderful people. And I'm, I, w- I knew that I would get that response or a response like that uh, from you. And uh, mm. we all love them and just uh, really, really have tremendous amount of admiration and respect for everything they do for all our guys. Um, favorite yeah. movie? Favorite movie? Uh, favorite movie, The Benchwarmers. Wow. Okay. If you had three <laughs> dinner guests not living not related to you, who would they be? Three dinner guests. Um, I actually wouldn't mind a dinner with Donald Trump. Um, Nobody came. All right, I'll, I'll tell you what. Go ahead. Give me living. Give me living people, and then and then we'll go to people not living. Okay, the president. Oh, was it supposed to be not living? No, let's go. I, that's fine. The president. All right. Why would you okay. like? Well, I, I mean, expound on that a little bit. Um, I just think he's a really, he's a really one. He's a very interesting person. Uh-huh. Two, I think he's extremely smart. Um, I think it's very impressive what he's, not only what he's done uh, since being elected, but just the fact that he was elected. Um, I think it really takes like a mastermind to to pull something out like that off. Um, just because, I don't know if it was the timing, um, but just his whole campaign to get so many people behind a person who was not in politics to run the country, I think that's a very impressive feat. Yeah, it is. Well, it is impressive, and and I I yeah. said I said two things uh, that I that were my observations. And you're you're an athlete, so I'd like you to to comment on this. I thought there were two things that if you if you were an athlete or you're involved in sports, you saw that uh, the Clinton campaign did amongst many of the mistakes that they made was yeah. number one, they sat on what they thought was a lead. They didn't know how to go for the jugular. So when they thought they were up by a lot, they coasted. 
And what did he do? Mm-hmm. He kept going right until the very last minute. I mean, he, you know, he stopped campaign. Right. He kept going. He kept going until the bell, you know, until the last out was made. He kept running it out. And they kind of, you know, they kind of sat back on their laurels thinking that they had it in the bag. And in sports, you just don't do that. And the other thing they did is they really had contempt for their opponent. They didn't respect their opponent. They thought he was a pushover. And, yeah. you know, when you do that, all of a sudden it's the fifth inning now and you're down 4 nothing, and you think you should be up 10 nothing. Now you don't know what to do and you're scrambling. Yeah. Uh, so that's, an in- that's one interesting pick. Good for you. Who else? I would like to talk to um, Tiger Woods now. Now that I want to talk to him about his his comeback um, and just kind of everything that he's gone through. I think it's a very him too is very impressive feat to uh, come back from so many surgeries and not playing and to win. Um, I think that was really awesome to see. You know, he only beat um, thirty guys, right? He only what? It's a field of thirty that he beat. As opposed to like 140 on a normal event, just so that you. Well, I don't want to throw well, cold yeah. water. I don't want to throw cold water on anything, but we do need perspective. Uh, it is an amazing look. It's an amazing feat. It's an amazing feat. There are yeah. some, there are some ironies I won't go into, uh, especially yeah. given the climate that we are in right now. But fine, you got Tiger Woods, you got Donald Trump. Well, they've played golf together, so there you go. You know they'll get along. Yeah, um, I don't know who this. Is. I've never really thought of this. That's why I'm. Um, that's why it's my show. Is I, I ask good questions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll let I'll let you off the hook. You want you want dead guys? You want you want you want three dead guys? I can I can add another dead guy. Um, uh, I would like to talk to Jesus. Wow. Um, yeah, I'm a so I'm, I'm part of a group on campus uh, called FCA. It's the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Oh really? I didn't know that. Yeah, um, actually, it's funny that you said I had perfect pitch because I've been practicing for like the last two years. So I'm a, I lead the the worship band um, and singing. Oh, awesome! So, so I've been working on my singing. So the more you learn about Wolfie, the more you like him. I love it. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, I got it. You know what? When I have Gage Workman on, you have to be on. <laughs> to, I didn't realize because I had a lot of conversations with Gage about faith, you know, about his faith. He's a Mormon, and I, I was fascinated by the role it played in his life, and you know, yeah, you know, how, how does he how does he balance like his faith and temptation and being a young man on campus and being a star athlete? I mean, you know, it's, uh, we had a lot of great conversations. I'm going to have him on in a couple of weeks. Um, wow, I didn't know that. That's very cool. Okay, Jesus. Well, I mean, look, who wouldn't want to talk to Jesus? Yeah, I mean. Like, well, there's a few people on this campus that probably wouldn't want to talk to him. <laughs> All right, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, or maybe they do and they want to roast him or something. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, frig so them. My- frig them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last. Okay. Uh, ready? Yeah. Okay. Lululemon. Lululemon. <laughs> um, when are you going back to work? I- High performance. Okay. <laughs> High performance comfort. When are you back at work? That's all anybody wants. That's all I want to know. That's all can. One of, one of my co- um, Well, I, I think I might have to extend uh, my class time here at Stanford. So I may be able to start working there in like January. 
Wolfie, um, Wolfie, Wolfie. What are you doing, Wolfie? What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> You're killing me, Wolfie. What are you doing? Eyes up. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. People should only know. They should only know. My wife cautioned me, but I had to. I had to go there. <laughs> it was what everyone was waiting for. Everyone was waiting for that. So, um, so. Uh, we're running out of time, but um, tell me what you got left this fall. What does the fall entail baseball-wise? Lifting? What, what are you doing? Yeah, so we, uh, so we come to school a lot later than everyone. Um, and what's really, what's really odd is we don't start like our real practices until next Saturday. Oh, my God. Um, so we're, we're hitting on the field and stuff. We're lifting three times a week, um, doing the standard fall routine. But what I'm really excited to do this um, – this fall is I have a lot more time um, because of my class load that I'm taking and like the difficulty of the classes since I'm kind of winding down towards the end of my degree. Um, I have a lot more time to spend at the field uh, working on hitting and working on becoming a better outfielder. And uh, so, so you have, so irrespective of when the team works out, you could just go to the field anytime you want, work out, Take a thousand swings, oh, yeah. thousand. We, okay. we have a uh, we have twenty four seven access. So like, if you want to go at like three o'clock in the morning, like you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, I figured it out. You can bike over there and uh, go into the cage and hit. We wow. have a we have a machine that like feeds us now, so you can hit live pitching um, with no one else there. Um, I don't think you can get to a weight room twenty four seven, but for I think from like 5 a.m. to 12 a.m., um, you can go to a weight room. Wow. Yeah. So, so what do what are your goals? Are you are you gonna uh, do you have somebody out there that that you work with that you're working on your mechanics? Are you gonna work with Kanzler? What are you gonna do? Send them some movies, some films. What are you doing? Yeah. So I'm I'm working with my hitting coaches here. Um. Uh. They they said they've been. Since they found out that I was coming back um, for the last year, they've been talking a lot on like some things that they think that would help me with my swing, and it's a lot of stuff that um, that we were kind of working on this summer with Candler. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things with like getting my lower half involved, staying right. on the ball. Um, looking back at a lot of film of this past year and some things I was doing wrong. Um, a lot of the time where I get get going wrong as I kind of spin off the ball, yep, which yep. I'm sure you saw right, right. a bunch. Uh, right. You don't stay on top of it and maintain your posture as long as you, as long yeah. as you can. Right. And, um, a lot of it too. Um, so since the summer, you'd actually be surprised if you saw me, I've lost, um, between 15 and 20 pounds. I like of that. Fat. I like that. Um, so I, I'm getting down to a more manageable body weight. Um, still maintaining my strength, but just kind of getting a little, leaner. a little bit leaner. Good for you. Yeah. So I'll probably, ideally I can play this season between 215 and like 225, whatever, whatever happens in there. Right. Um, I think that'll, if I can maintain my strength, but I'll still be able to hit home runs. I think it'll make me, uh, faster, um, faster than I already am. And I think it'll also, keep me healthier. Um, I, 
I can't necessarily point to my injuries of being solely because I was carrying a little bit extra weight. Right. Um, right. But it, it's definitely there's a lot more stress going on your feet when you're 245 pounds versus 225. So. No question. No question. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. A little more nimble, a little more. Yep. Uh, you know, looser. I, I, I think it bodes well for you. Well, listen, we're going to wrap it up. Fabulous, as I thought you would be. Uh, you're one of the best. Um, we're going to stay in touch, obviously. We'll talk soon. Yep. Hopefully mm-hmm. you'll you'll be coming out uh, out east to grab a good meal. Uh, I yeah, know we, every- might, we might come over in, uh, in December. My parents were talking about heading to New York. Yes, sir. Best time to be here. Well, Christmas time. There's no time, or there's no place like New York for Christmas, so Oh, awesome. My parents that, and we might be out there for a few days, but we'll see. All right. All right. Well, whatever. We'll be in touch. You know that. It's a small world now, yeah. pal. Just want to thank you for everything, especially your friendship. I love you. I want you to do very well and have a fantastic year uh, and uh, tear it up. And if you need anything, I'm always here for you. That's Brandon Wolf, Stanford, one of the best guys you'll you'll ever meet. And we are, this is Tommy Weber for the conversation saying we will see you next time. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you, pal. Thanks for listening to The Conversation with Tommy Weber. Have any thoughts on today's episode? Ideas for a new one? Join the conversation on Twitter at TommyWeberBball or Instagram at TommyWeberBaseball and share your thoughts. Tommy's back next week with a new episode of The Conversation. Subscribe and listen for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Stitcher. And of course, always at TommyWeberBaseball.com. Come.